If you're looking for a podcast that will give you ideas how to turn your hair bright red, bright blue, or bright green forever... Why would why would you do that? Well, you know, there are some people who might be interested. If in you're looking for that podcast, keep looking. Yes, that's true. This is not that podcast. This is, however, comedy. Tragedy. Marriage. marriage. Welcome to another episode. Uh, I believe... Excuse me. Oh, that was pretty. I'm dainty. You are such a lady. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Welcome. Uh, welcome to what I believe is our 84th episode of Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage, a podcast where a longtime married couple who don't mind expelling gases at each other from time to time... Only north of the border. South of the border, gas is verboten. That is what bathroom doors are for. Sorry. Yeah. You know you're lying. So many rules. So many rules. Well, I mean, for me, you can do whatever, wherever, because yeah, okay, you're a dude. A uh, couple has been married almost 35 years. Uh, we take turns each week selecting a movie to watch, and then we sit down and discuss it with you. Uh, I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at Stan the Movie Man. It would be helpful if I could say that. StanTheMovieMan.com. <laughs> Uh, Spiral from the Book of Saw is my latest. I may do a double header this weekend. Okay. Uh, as we have A Quiet Place 2 and also Cruella coming out well, in it's, theaters. It's Memorial Day weekend, so there will be... No, it's not. Yeah, it is. Memorial Day is next... Uh, Memorial Day right. is... I am, yes. You are, right. <laughs> Hilarious. The whole Monday holiday <laughs> thing has me bum-fuzzled sometimes. <laughs> Plus, I've got, a, I've got a lot of work to do between now and Friday. Anyway, uh, but I, I may do a double uh, this weekend, and since I've got an extra day. Because uh, it's Memorial Day it's weekend. Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> hey, maybe you need to come with me to one on Monday. Bless. I may. All right. So anyway, uh, com for movie reviews. Boy, this one is way off the rails already. Hashtag hot mess. Yes. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieManStan. You can also follow the podcast at CT Marriage. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can do that easily. Send us an email, ComedyTragedyMarriage at gmail.com. And you can also leave us a voice message simply by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast. Uh, and who knows, you might get to hear yourself on a future episode of Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. Joining me, as always, in this train wreck that we call a podcast <laughs> is my other half. Maud the train wrecking broad. You've we'll done just, an excellent job of it this we'll week. We'll just roll with that. Exactly. Because, you know, flexibility is a virtue. Or uh, Maud the sizable earthquake broad. Huh? From the movie. Well, yeah. Yeah. Although, that's not the point of the movie. Anyway, it was your choice this week. It was. And please tell everybody what we watched. Um, I have been hankering recently for nostalgic, sweet, um, old, warm, fuzzy kind of feeling movies. Mm -hmm. So, this week I chose for us to watch, um, from 1941... Um, it's called Penny Serenade. It is a melodrama film um, directed by George Stevens. It stars Irene Dunn and Cary Grant. 
um, with strong supporting performances from Beulah Bondi and Edgar Buchanan. Uh, Beulah Bondi you will recognize from movies such as It's a Wonderful Life, She Was George Bailey's Mother. Um, you would recognize Edgar Buchanan much later in the 60s as Uncle Joe on Petticoat Junction. But that voice of his is mm -hmm. unmistakable. It's, it's a little higher pitched, but you, you'll if you know Uncle Joe from Petticoat Junction, aside from the fact that you can just recognize him, yeah. he's got that almost exact same voice. Yeah. Um, so this movie came out in 1941. It was based on a McCall's Magazine story called Penny Serenade from 1940, written by Martha Cheevens. Um, basically... We meet this couple, and we we revisit the story of their life together through a series of flashbacks as Irene Dunn's character, Julie, reminisces over various points in their life together by listening to records. And um, we see the old Victrola arm going down and the record label spinning, and we hear the music, and we see the story of how they first met when he came into a record shop she was working in, and as an excuse to spend time and talk with her, Cary Grant ends up buying an armload, like 27 um, records, and then he walks her home and says something about... Um, can I come in and, and listen to these? And she's like, why would you buy 27 records if you don't have something to play them on? And, you know, he's like busted because he's all crushing. He's, all, he's looking all sheepish. Yeah. Like, you caught me. He's all crushing on her and mm. stuff. So we, we meet them. We see the beginning of their courtship. We see their whirlwind romance and spur the moment marriage. Um, we see their desire to, mostly her desire at yeah. first, to... Pretty much exclusively her desire. At first, yeah. To start a family, have a child. Um, she does become pregnant. She relocates to Tokyo where he, as a newspaper man, has a, an assignment. He's, he's working as a correspondent for his newspaper. Yes, and he's, he's in their Tokyo Bureau, their mm -hmm. Japan Bureau at the mm -hmm. time. Um, the massive 1923 earthquake in Tokyo um, destroys their home, injures her, and um, takes their baby and takes away her ability to ever have a child. Mm -hmm. So at this point, she's despondent, and he's just kind of, well, you know, maybe this is how it's going to be. And um, they move back to the States, and Edgar Buchanan's character, Applejack Carney, who is another old newspaper hound, mm -hmm. um, comes to work for the Rosalia Courier, which Cary Grant has started his own little community weekly newspaper. And... Um, Applejack mentions to Julie that, you know, what what about adopting a child? And it intimates to her that Cary Grant would be all for it. That they've even talked about That it. they've even talked about yes. it. And that Applejack himself was an adopted child and all of the benefits that could come from adoption. Um, long story short, Cary Grant eventually kind of reluctantly steps on the wagon. Right. And he has something very specific in mind. A two-year-old boy. With curly, with curly hair, hair blue, blue eyes, eyes, and dimples. Yeah. 
Um, and that's what they, <laughs> that's the letter that they write to the adoption agency. Enter Beulah Bondi as Miss Oliver, and she's the, she's the adoption lady, for, for lack of a understanding of what her actual professional title would be. She's the adoption lady. And they go to talk to her about adopting a child, and they, they you know, they're fresh out of two-year-old curly-haired, dimpled, blue-eyed baby boys. And it may be a year or more before they can get one. Yeah. But she does have knowledge of a brand-new five-week-old baby girl who desperately needs a family. Mm-hmm. And she, she, she doesn't pitch the child to them exactly. She just... She says that she thinks this might be the perfect situation for them, and she describes her the baby as like no other child. So, which you could describe every child you can as no other child. Julie talks Roger Cary Grant's character into going and meeting the baby. They fall in love. They mm-hmm. take her home. Mm-hmm. It's a very comedic scene early on, whether the first night home and. They're constantly checking on her and uh, trying to follow this schedule for feedings and changings and bathings mm-hmm. and all of this stuff. It it's it it sort of veers into slapstick. Screwball comedy at yeah. that point. Um, there's a very one of the sweetest scenes in all of American cinema to me is where Applejack Carney takes charge after Julie melts down Mm -hmm. trying to give this baby her first bath. And she's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know. What am I doing with the baby? I'm going to drown her. I don't know how to bathe this baby. (laughs) And, you know, rough around the edges, Applejack comes in and just kind of takes over and um, bathes the baby Mm -hmm. and is very good with the baby and... Um, he's like, look how easy this is. And from that point on, their family life goes forward. Um, there are twists and turns. I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. in case you haven't seen Yes, an 80-year-old movie. Well, you know, you just don't, you don't know. I mean, well, okay. All I right. hadn't seen it until it was probably 60 years old anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, there, there are elements of comedy, tragedy, victory, marriage. marriage. <laughs> comedy, tragedy, marriage. I see what you did there. I see what you did there, and I wrecked it. Um, comedy, tragedy, humor, sweetness, heartbreak, heartbreak, um, and strong performances by all of the 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 lead four characters in mm-hmm. this film, including an Academy Award nomination for Best Actor for Cary Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that you had watched it with me before. I don't believe I have. Talk more about that, Stan. Well, I, there were things like when that, when the, when the, when, um, what is it, baby's name? Trina? Trina. When Trina, you know, they show her in first grade when she's going to the, the, to Christmas, the Christmas play. play Aww, so and cute. she's got that smile that's, you know, because she's got this smile that is both goofy and, sweet um i had i have seen i've seen the scene where she's doing the echo voice for yes. the christmas play yeah and she falls and the star goes swooshing across the stage yeah and then she she she's able to stop herself without making too much noise yeah and and then she looks up and smiles that goofy smile at the teacher who is not happy yeah she's um kind of 
Like, how did you wreck my play? Yeah, you've just you've destroyed the the second grade Christmas pageant. Um, but yeah. that little girl looks like a female version of Alfalfa. Yeah. Uh, and, and Alfalfa from the Little Rascals right. or the Our Gang Kids, if you're not familiar. Right. Uh, her, Eva Lee Cuny mm-hmm. plays Trina at age six. Um, and while, you know, f- even for a child actor, she's not a terribly good actor. No. The smile that she the, tacks on at the end of yes, everything is obviously rehearsed. I think is why they, well, but I think that's why they cast her. Maybe. Because that, that look just was like, Okay, I forgive you. Uh, she, she's way cute. Yeah, she is. Um, and I remember that scene because I remember the stars sliding across. This, yeah. But, and maybe I've seen bits and pieces of it. Maybe I walked through the room when you were watching it one time. Maybe. But I, I, I had not seen this movie start to finish ever. Okay, so, so it was new to you, basically. Yes, yes. Okay. I had seen it, but it had been a number of years ago. I remember that it gave me warm fuzzies, mm-hmm. and um, but I, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched it. It's been at least 10, 15 more years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were a lot of things watching it last night with you that I had forgotten about. Well, and you said... That you th- didn't think you'd ever seen the earthquake scene. Well, I didn't remember it. Yeah. And th- that's such a pivotal point mm-hmm. in, like, the primary conflict of the movie. Mm-hmm. Because that's what makes her unable to have babies anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't remember it. I, I, it's funny what happens to people's minds when <laughs> years happen to well, the rest of them. Well, and, you know, your brain gets full of stuff and occasionally... Some things have to be purged from the databanks in order for new stuff to be brought in. See, this is what I think, too, and I don't know how scientifically valid that is, but it, honestly, it, it is starting to feel like if I want to put in anything new mm-hmm. into long-term memory, something has to go. Well, you know, uh, hopefully it is mildly unimportant things like a scene from a movie yeah. that you watched 22 years ago or however long however ago long, yeah. But, uh, yeah, um, but yeah, um, without spoiling anything, um, I really love that little girl. Yeah. Oh, I she's just, so cute. She's just so cute. And the one-year-old version was <gasps> oh also adorable. That was an adorable. Big fat cheeks and, and. Head full of dark black hair and huge eyes. And the, the baby, baby version of, of Trina yes. was also just. You know, had a very expressive face. What little infant, we were, yeah. we were shown of it. Um, but yeah, yeah, they did really good kid casting on this. Yeah, thing. they did. Um, and at one point, uh, well, let's talk about the the grown ups' performances. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, it it's it's a very dated film, being that it's eighty years old. Uh, and the acting style is sort of well, it's different. Well, it is different. It is. It's that um, you know, wistful looks off into the off to one side when you know there's something sad happening or or, or things aren't going Irene Dunn's way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or you know, Cary Grant says something that implies he or straight out says he doesn't want any children 
um, and um, you know, there's it's just this, you know, it. It's melodrama. It's melodrama, and she's not for the time. She's not supposed to voice her uh, her own wishes and wants. Whatever the man says, that's what you do. Um, but, you know, he, and while he says, you know, he wants a two-year-old boy with curly hair, dimples, mm-hmm. and blue eyes, you know, here comes this little girl and melts him down immediately. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene probably over halfway into the movie where the little newspaper he started has gone under because he just couldn't generate enough ad revenue. Yeah. Um, and it's been about a year since they got Trina, and he's um, part of the whole adoption questionnaire was, how much money do you make? What's your income? And now it's zero. Yeah. And because and they're coming up on their year review where be- they determine if it's if they're keeping her for good or not. Right, and because it's zero... Um, they're going to lose her yeah, because they have no prospects. And they never did explain what they did for a living after that because, well, anyway. Anyway. Um, so he and Beulah Bondi go before the judge, and the judge doesn't know why they're there since they don't have an income. And Cary Grant gives this impassioned speech about how he'd do anything for her. He'd sell any everything they have to make sure that she had what she needed. Um, and, you know, it, it was moving. Yeah. Because Cary Grant is that good. I mean, even though he's got that voice that sort of, it, it sort of pulls you out of, the movie sometimes because you know that voice has been imitated for so long that it's you know even if it's even though it's him saying the words it's still sort of a caricature Mm -hmm. at least that's how it strikes you but he's giving this impassioned speech before this judge who at first doesn't want to hear it and he gets very emotional for you know him Mm -hmm. um in a in a time when men were only emotional about you know protect you know um, you're my woman and nobody can have you and and or war expressing or, anger yeah if it was anger it was fine but yeah. if it was heartfelt uh, desperation know, familial love uh, expressed as desperation then you didn't see it all that much yeah. But um, but he it's it was an effective performance um, in that speech before the judge and I actually teared up a little bit. I, I did too, and I'm glad that you found it that moving because I did too, and it would it would for me I think that as far as nominating him for an Oscar that scene probably was put in as evidence of his strong performance in this film as well as some of the more screwball comedy moments. Oh yeah. Well, to 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 illustrate his range. Right. He uh and and you know he as a character he grows quite a bit oh, because yeah. he's selfish. Um he's immature. 
Childish, yeah. Um, he, you know, he he throws away a perfectly good job because he gets this inheritance that, you know, he says it's this much money, but then it goes down by quite a bit, yeah. And then it goes down more, and then he owes some debts, so it goes down even more, yeah. Um, and he's, you know, he wants to go on an around the world uh, trip with his wife, um. But even for the time, I think what they ended up with eight thousand yeah. dollars after everything. Um, that for the time that probably would have sucked up most of that. Yeah. And you know he's clearly not very good with money because he got an advance on his salary and he spent money like he you know had a money tree. Yeah. Um, and. Meanwhile, she is very. He's off chasing the stars, and she is very on the ground, yes. level-headed, trying to think about their future, mm-hmm. trying to think about their future family that she wants to start, mm-hmm. um, the children, the child or children that she wants to have. This this is her primary focus. Is just she wants to be a mother. Yes. Um, and on one of their first dates, they get Chinese food, I guess, and there are fortune, fortune cookies. cookies. yes. And she opens hers, and it says something about your dream will come true, a baby. Mm-hmm. And his says there's a wedding in your future, or something along that line. And then he he sort of does a little sleight of hand and opens another one to show her, because they've been showing each other yeah. their, their fortune cookies. Uh, and I forget what the second one said. You will always be a bachelor. Oh, yeah. yeah you know, the, the kinds of things that arrive in movies like this precisely when they're supposed to. Of course. Um, subtle, not so subtle foreshadowing. Right. So it's, a, you know, it, it is a dated um, film with dated performances and dated sexual dynamics. Cultural references, Cultural too. references. The, uh, sorry, um, the slightly... Um, racist showing of uh, Japanese people. Yeah. Um, um, Rickshaw drivers. and Right. And, and the, they are the help. Yeah. Um, in his house. Uh, you know, it, it's got some cringy stuff in it. Uh, but once you get past the, the part in Japan um, and they come back to America and start the newspaper and and there's some very funny stuff in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, that still holds up 80 years later. Cary and, Grant is well regarded, and rightfully so, as a good comic actor. Yes. Well, he was in quite a few screwball comedies yeah. uh, in his career. And that shows here. Um, his Girl Friday. We need to watch that sometime. That's, okay. That is a... That is, and we'll definitely need the closed caption on that one because they talk so the fast. The banter so fast. It's almost impossible to keep up with otherwise. Yeah. But yeah, His Girl Friday and there was, there was something about a cheetah? Some, bringing uh, Up Baby? Bringing Up Baby, yeah. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of screwball comedies. Is the Philadelphia story considered a screwball comedy? I don't know if it's screwball, but it definitely has funny moments mm. for sure. Now, is that the one where he crams the he shoves um Catherine Hepburn down I don't know there's something it's been about so long golf since I've seen him something about golf clubs and and they're a couple who are breaking up and 
and she breaks his golf clubs over her knee. And <laughs> I don't know if it's that movie or a I think different it's the, one. I think it is the Philadelphia Anyway, story. we digress. We digress. Uh, yeah, even though there is a lot, you know, that's cringy and dated about this movie, um, it is also just so sweet. Yeah. And heartbreaking. And, you know, when you first meet them, um, well, you only meet her as she's packing her things, and then Applejack comes in, and she, of course, she sort of treats him like a servant, you know. But um, he's a white guy, so that's that's okay with me. But... um, she she's she's getting ready to leave Cary Grant. Yeah. Because their their marriage has fallen apart for a very sad reason. Um and you know, that's when she starts going through the records, um, uh, because she's trying to divvy them up so yeah. who gets what. And then she, you know, by the end of the movie she decides I can't divide them. I can't split them up. You know, he can just have them. Yeah. So it's um it, it it is a, a Sickeningly sweet movie, but also it still works. Well, why don't we rate it? Okay. We'll be right back with a rating for um, Penny Serenade after this. Welcome back to Comedy Tragedy Marriage. We are talking about 1941's Penny Serenade, starring Irene Dunn and Cary Grant, along with Beulah Bondi, Edgar Buchanan. Um, and a few more people, but, uh, really those are your big four. Yeah. Uh, it was your selection this week, so please tell me, what do you rate, um, Penny Serenade? Taking into consideration all the datedness of the, the culture, the social references, the man-woman dynamics and everything else in play here... I still give Penny Serenade five big shiny pennies. Okay. Uh, I give it four. Um, it is very dated, but still very enjoyable movie. Works emotionally as well as with the story. Um, and, you know, watching this couple fall apart after a tragedy is... It, it was painful to watch because it's like... Like many modern couples, they can't deal with um, tragedy because they can't talk to each other. Yeah. They won't communicate. Um, I, that's I about guess, as real as real gets, too, yeah. because that's what happens so often is that a married couple goes through a tragic experience and they can't communicate with each other about it. I guess... You know, he doesn't want to talk about it because it hurts so much and he doesn't want to show her weakness. Yeah. And she doesn't want to talk about it to not cause him pain. Yeah. But they're they're just dooming their relationship after after this tragedy occurs. So, you know, and again, very dated um, acting style is, is, you know, from the 40s. So yeah. it's... Um, it won't be as effective as if the same movie were made today. Um, and it wouldn't be quite... It isn't the tearjerker that a movie made today with the same story would be. But it's still pretty good. So, 
check it out. Penny Serenade. We watched it on Amazon Prime. Uh, I think it's also available on Tubi. Yeah. Um, so, um, if you are an Amazon Prime member, you can watch it. It's a digital transfer, so even though the aspect ratio is squ still pretty square, um, it looks good. Yeah. It's, it's a good transfer. They've cleaned up. I'm sure there was a Digitally lot of garbage Digitally remastered, in it. yeah. Um, I, the Tubi version, couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Don't know what it looks like, and there's probably commercials inserted in weird places. Yeah. So. Um, I just think that if you're in the mood for something sentimental, heartwarming, um, sad and happy, mm -hmm. this, this, and great soundtrack. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, uh, the whole thing, the whole premise is built around, you know, the songs that, that symbolize these different eras in this relationship. Mm -hmm. So the music plays a fairly important role. Um, and each each character seems to have their own motif. Mm -hmm. So um, I I it w still works for me. Yeah, I I enjoyed it as well. Good okay. choice. Okay. Um, what have you been watching lately? Uh, a few things. Mm -hmm. I went off on an opera jag. Mm -hmm. So on PBS, I found a special called "The Magic of Maria Callas." Um, Maria Callas was a character in real life for her, um, her personal life was kind of a flamboyant train wreck slash circus. Mm -hmm. She was, she had a uh, very public affair with Aristotle Onassis. She conceived a child with him. She ultimately lost that baby. Um, she started an opera career, um, as a more Zoftig figure, and her voice was, you know, very highly regarded, mm -hmm. um, big dramatic soprano, but she wasn't getting the roles she wanted the way she wanted them. Mm -hmm. So she ended up um, going to fairly extreme measures to lose, I think they said 80 pounds or something, substantial weight loss. Yeah. After which, in my opinion, her voice was never the same. And they said that in the special. Yeah. The and, documentary and, well. and, you know, other people will listen to early recordings versus late recordings. Um, there was a lot of footage in this recording of um, a televised second act of Tosca in 1964, where she is definitely toward the end of her career. And um, her performance as an actress in this footage is, is quite remarkable. Her voice, for me, has never been the thing. Mm. Um, it, yes, it, it was sizable and huge, but it wasn't always particularly beautiful or easy to listen to. For me, it had a, a sharp, razor-like kind of edge to it. Mm -hmm that sometimes made it um, not beautiful to listen to. Now, several people in this episode of Great Performances uh -huh. um, said that same thing, uh -huh. or, or similar things, that her voice was not up to snuff, or she was not at the height of her powers, or whatever. Yeah. Um, now, me, as an opera illiterate, an untrained ear, uh -huh. You know, it was still impressive. Oh, impressive for sure. I mean, 
I I didn't I don't hear of course I the only thing I've heard is what was shown on this mm-hmm. on the show um but you know to me it was like just you know mind blowing um what she could do with her voice yeah oh, that's true um if if you were of a mind to you could get on YouTube or something and go back and search for earlier recordings versus later recordings mm-hmm. of Maria Callas. Um, I have done that, and for my money, as a trained singer, mm-hmm. and just to my ear, mm-hmm. her earlier voice was a little warmer, a little rounder, a little more pleasant to the ear. Um, it's still, it's a marvelous special. And if you're um, any kind of music geek at all, um, definitely check this out. I streamed it on PBS. Yeah. Also on PBS, because I needed to purge the edge of Maria Callas, <laughs> I found Birgit Nielsen, a league of her own. Mm. Now, now Birgit Nielsen was a Swedish dramatic soprano, sang a lot of Wagner, also sang Tosca. It was mm-hmm. one of her favorite roles. Um, and for my money, again, her voice was a much fuller, rounder, warmer, more pleasant voice to listen to, but still every bit of the size and drama and ferocity that, um, that a voice like Maria Callas's was. I wonder if, if it's because she was sort of a Zoftig woman. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if something about the way the voice reverberates through the flesh, if that smooths, warms, rounds out. Oh, it for sure can. Um, the, the voice of somebody whose whole body is their instrument. Yeah, it for sure can. Um, another case in point, um, in recent era, um, Wagnerian soprano named Deborah Voigt who I think is still with the Metropolitan Opera, um, was singing beautifully at her largest weight, which was large. Mm. Um, She had weight loss surgery and um, became very svelte and very, you know, still very curvy and Mm -hmm. still very beautiful, Mm -hmm. but her voice was different. Mm. Um, And that's another thing that you can do an online search for is Deborah Voigt early recordings versus later recordings, Deborah Voigt weight loss, Mm -hmm. all of those things. Um, But you can definitely tell a change. Mm -hmm. Um, And to my ear, um, the change was not a positive one. Mm. Now, for some singers, it's it's a remarkable um, positive transformation because their breathing is better. There's more room in the abdomen for the lungs to expand and for the diaphragm to do its job mm-hmm. and, you know, all of those things. But, but yes, uh, a, a singer's size and shape um, will affect what their voice sounds like. Mm-hmm. That's, just, that's just science. And if you want to talk about two diametrically opposed people, Callis and Nielsen, as people, yes, yeah. definitely. Um, Callis was a diva in every sense of the word. Um, jet setting, uh, in the gossip pages mm-hmm. as much as she was in the arts and entertainment section. Yeah, sometimes uh, more. With her various lovers and her uh, temperamental fits of, I'm, 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 I'm not going to perform. 
Yeah, um, she was she was a prima donna. Whereas Birgit was this farm girl yeah. who was never expected to be anything else but a farm girl, at least in the minds of her parents. Very humble beginnings, but oh my stars! Um, for me, this voice, Birgit Nielsen, is the voice when I think of when I think of. Brunhilde, mm-hmm. the Wagner character from Die Valkyrie, mm-hmm. where she's got the brass bra and the fur dress and the, the stick and the hat with the horns on mm-hmm. and all the things going, to ya to ho mm-hmm. That is the quintessential to ya to ho is Birgit, <laughs> is Birgit Nielsen. So, um, again, this is on PBS. Birgit Nielsen, A League of Her Own. Yes. Um, you and I together watched something on Netflix, which was as disturbing to me as the whole big pharma thing mm-hmm. um it's called the bleeding edge mm-hmm. and on the other side of big pharma it was talking about medical devices things like um breast implants joint replacements yeah. um mesh um for um pelvic 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 mesh bladder yeah. bladder repair that right. kind of thing um it was disturbing yes, it how was. how little um, FDA process this actually joint replacements actually go through and right. stuff. It, it terrifying. There was a, a a a change in a rule a long time ago, where if the design of a device was largely similar to something that had already gone through FDA approval. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to go through as rigorous an approval process. Actually, it could just get sort of rubber stamped and used in your body. Yeah, grandfathered in. And uh, they didn't do any uh, long-term studies or anything um, for, like, for instance, a hip replacement that had cobalt cobalt in it that caused the flesh around it to rot, essentially. And um, it caused neurological problems, mm-hmm. um, and it was basically the the cobalt was dissolving and poisoning the person's system. Right. It was because the the doctor. It was actually a physician who had his hip replaced, and because he was a very active cyclist, mm-hmm. he chose the cobalt on cobalt, metal on metal, um, hip replacement. Thinking that that would be the most durable option for someone as active. as active as he was. Well, he got along okay for a little while, and then he started having neurological problems and just a bunch of unexplained symptoms, mm-hmm. and um, started checking his cobalt levels in his blood or urine or maybe both, and he had like a hundred times the normal or acceptable level of cobalt in mm-hmm. his system. So he's like, this hip's got to come out. So yeah, um, he had his hip replacement replaced. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, I have a coworker whose mother uh, had her hip replaced twice because uh, the first one, like, I think it just wore out exceptionally quick for, yeah. for a, an elderly woman that didn't, you know, wasn't riding wasn't a bicycle active. and had COPD. So mm. they couldn't put her to sleep. Ugh. So she had both of those hip replacements under done local. under local. Jeez Louise. And you know, they do some hammering and sawing and stuff yeah. in those. So that could not have been pleasant. That was, pr- oh, please. Ugh. But, you know, uh, and the mesh, the bladder mesh, mm-hmm. uh, that stuff 
is <laughs> there are so many things, and and the thing they they focused on most was a um, uh, a contraceptive device called Esure, yes, Esure or Escher, uh, that um, you know what it was supposed to do was go inside a fallopian tube and um, it would it would uh, create, create scar tissue scar tissue which would essentially close off the tube um, and that way it was a non-surgical permanent sterilization sterilization well um, the things would it was spring loaded so sometimes when the doctor would let it go it would spring in the wrong direction and go someplace it wasn't supposed to or they'd and, have to refire four or five times. There was this one woman whose pelvis contained six of these things. Yes, uh, where and, they had misfired, and they would uh, they would come apart. They would they would disintegrate, degrade inside the body, and pieces of them would go places they weren't supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Basically, you're getting shrapnel. And Europe and the rest of the world banned the device. Years before America did, but they finally did because yeah. Johnson and Johnson, who made the device and sold it, uh, was being sued left and right. Although um, they paid like a half of a percent of their total profits for uh, the the whole period um, that they were selling the device, yeah. so it, it's it's another it's another one that is going to make you so so very angry. Uh, when you I, watch it. I was real mad. Um, and, uh, you know, they didn't mention a whole lot about Congress in this one, but I'm sure some Congress people got um, a lot of contributions to make sure that a lot of Stuff these things got, got onto the market. Through. Well, yeah. And as I said to you that, you know, after we watched it, the revolving door between the FDA a lobbying firm and the drug or the uh, manufacturers, mm-hmm. um, that has to stop somehow. One of those three has to be cut off so that there's no benefit to working for a man, uh, a medical device manufacturer, then going into the regulatory system, yeah, or going to uh, a lobbying firm to mess with the leg- a regulatory system. Yeah, where, it's, you know, everybody knows all the tricks and, yeah. you know. It's, it's, it, so that it's was so disturbing. frustrating. Yes. What, watch the opera stuff first. Or, or instead, instead of, of, you know, just don't always believe everything, you know, you hear about a medical device, which, funny, uh, we watched last week tonight, which... Oh, my gosh. Did the local segment uh, that is actually a paid commercial. Sponsored content. Yes. For a, uh, for whatever. You can, you can go to your local station and if they do some sort of lifestyle or, or, you know, whatever program, you can buy a five minute segment for a price and you can sell whatever you've got and they won't question you. Uh, You know, if you're talking to a reporter um the talent won't ask you any follow up questions and Oliver and the show created uh John Oliver and the show created a a blanket that they refer to as the Venus the Venus veil the Venus veil that was supposed to help women with was, sexual dysfunction it yeah it was it was 
marketed and touted as a sexual wellness blanket. Yes. It was a blanket. It was just a blanket. And it was a company that John Oliver invented. Right. And they hired an actress, and it was disgustingly easy for them to get on the various shows on local stations around the country. And cheap. And and relatively inexpensive. And to tout this blanket with absolutely no pushback from the host asking follow-up questions like, uh, all what, that, all what that studies have been done. All that gobbledygook you just said doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So no, yeah. yeah. If if you have HBO Max, uh, check out last week tonight this previous uh, episode. It's really good. All right. Um, anything else? Uh, no. Okay. I watched. You're gonna laugh at me. Okay. But um, <laughs> um. Uh, the Last Drive-In on Shudder with Joe Bob Briggs. Uh, they show, um, you know, campy horror, movies. campy horror movies from the 70s and 80s and, and later. Um, and this week, they had Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop 2. Oh, my About stars. a policeman who is framed for a crime, gets sent to Sing Sing, and is killed... Um, in the showers by a bunch of guys that he had sent to prison, except he didn't really die. Um, he had brain damage, um, and they thought he was dead, but he wasn't. So he goes on a killing rampage. Throughout uh, Sing throughout, Sing? No, throughout New York City, oh. uh, which was actually Los Angeles. And, um, you know, and he's unstoppable because he's already died. So, you know, they shooting him doesn't do any you good. You can't kill a dead man. Uh, and, um, you know. <laughs> why do you do uh, this? Um, <laughs> why, do, why do you do this? Well, okay. Maniac Cop, not a great movie. Maniac Cop 2, for a not great movie, was really good. Oh, okay. It was a lot of fun. Uh, then, after The Last Driving was over, they showed Maniac Cop 3. Oh, my. And that one isn't very good. Okay. Because it's kind of slow and dull and the story doesn't make any sense. Uh, but um, Bruce Campbell. Oh, no. The Chin is in both Maniac Cop oh, 1 and man. 2. Uh, he's one of the main characters in Maniac Cop, but he only has like a real short um, appearance in Maniac Cop 2 because he gets killed early. I'm assuming all of these are like pre Briscoe County, pre Oh yeah. yeah. Pre Hercules. Um he mentioned oh, it was uh not long it was in the vicinity of Evil Dead Two. Which okay. which, you know, is his how most people got got to know him. But um oh, yeah. yeah. It and they spoke with they had Bruce Campbell on in the in between segments. Okay. Uh, and then in the for uh, Maniac Cop Two, they had the director for those segments. Okay. Um, and Maniac Cop Two is really for a B movie, very very good. Okay. Um, you, you know I can't properly give it voice, and I certainly wouldn't make you watch it. But it's uh, surprising how f- on a nothing budget they put together a pretty good movie. Uh, they had this fire stunt at the end that 
set records oh, wow. for how long the guy was on fire. Um, mm. And it took like three or four days to shoot, and they had they had like several different um, uh, stunts, yeah. uh, versions of the stunt, and and it ended with two guys falling out of like the seventh floor of a building. Gee whiz! Um, of course, they were on wires, but for the entire time, they jumped out until they um, until the guys came up with the fire extinguishers to put them out. They couldn't inhale. Oh, gee, because whiz. they would have burned their burned lungs. their lungs. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's just one of those kinds of genres that if you hate it, there's no chance, no matter how good the movie is, or it, or how entertaining the movie is, that uh, you're going to like what you see. It's not going to be your thing. No, but I, you know, Maniac Cop one and two, not bad. Not okay. bad at all. And you can find them on Shudder. Cool. So, if, if you're interested and you subscribe, check it out. I was kind of in a um, horror sort of mode this week because I also watched Army of the Dead on Netflix, hmm. which is Zack Snyder's new uh, zombie flick. Uh, it's about uh, a, a military experiment that goes wrong, um, and they're trying to develop smart zombies to use in war instead of like super regular soldiers. People. Yes, but undead super soldiers. Well, yeah. That's part of what makes them super. And their experiment escapes after a traffic accident just outside of Las Vegas. And they uh, the 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 alpha zombie uh, that is the only one that was there at first, he creates more zombies by biting people. Oh jeez. And then they go to Las Vegas, where they essentially turn the whole city into uh, zombies. Um, now, if an alpha bites you, you become an alpha zombie. But if... I didn't even think about this. How do they not have alpha zombies? I guess if, um, if a zombie that was not an, the alpha zombie bites you, you just become what they call a shambler. Which is your basic zombie, but um, no frills. No frills. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, kind of dumb. No frills. Only, zombie. Only got the one thing it wants to do, which is kill, eat flesh. kill, kill. Um, Dave Batista is the um, the lead character. Okay. In this, um, <laughs> and comedian Chris D'Elia was supposed to have a role, and they filmed it all. Oh, but um, he got in some trouble. He got in some trouble yeah. with, with you know, uh, flirting the and hitting folks. on and having sex with uh, young young girls, uh, younger girls. Yeah. And uh, so they completely reshot his stuff with Tig Notaro. Okay. And digitally inserted her into the movie in the Crystalia role, and the entire cast had never met her. Never seen her. Wow. Uh, so they were able to just just lay her just over her him. Uh, Did and, it work? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't have known it if you hadn't said, if okay. somebody hadn't said something about it. But it is uh, big, dumb, goofy. <laughs> uh, the story makes no sense. Um, the But the effects are great. They have a zombie tiger. 
that was one of Siegfried and Roy's in the story. Oh my! But you know, like half its face is like rotted off, and one eye is missing. Zombified. And it's showing ribs, and they have a zombie horse, um, and uh, the zombies have a plan. Um, but it uh, uh, the the reason that Batista and his team go into the city is a uh, casino owner has two hundred million dollars in a vault in the uh, bottom of his casino, which he has already been reimbursed for by insurance, but he wants them to go in and get the money out. Okay. Uh, and he will give uh, Batista $50 million to divvy up between his team, however yeah. he sees fit, um, but he wants the other $150 million, except that's a lie. And you have to watch the movie to find out. I would... Okay, this sounds like crap. It is. But I would watch it for Tignataro because I love her. Well, she's not in it that much. Okay. But... Duly noted. It is uh, it, it, it is an entertaining film. Again, if you're into an action zombie heist... Cheesy horror thing. Yeah. Uh, then... And, you know, Zack Snyder, not exactly the subtlest of filmmakers. Mm. Um, you know, it is it is it is a lot of fun. It, you just can't think about it too much. Otherwise, it goes, well, that didn't make any sense. Why would they do that? You have to suspend disbelief. Exactly. So, check that out. It's on Netflix, Army of the Dead. Um, also on Netflix, Love, Death, and Robots, the third season of that. Uh, animated shorts. Um of uh, various styles. One of them was mostly live action with just uh, a CGI uh, robot dog that loses its mind. But uh, there are some very entertaining animated shorts uh, in the third season of Love, Death, and Robots. If uh, that interests you, check that out. Also on Netflix, we watched all the episodes of Money Explained. There were like four episodes uh, dealing with cryptocurrencies and credit, uh, credit and retirement and um, fraud, uh, getting scammed by yeah. people, uh, and all very informative. Oh, student loans was student one. loans. Oh my gosh! Um, so there may have actually been more than I four. Think there I think was there were five like episodes, five or six. Yeah. So uh, and they're very short. They're only about twenty minutes each. So, uh, if you're curious about money, by all means, watch Money Explained on Netflix. And finally, I watched all ten episodes of MODOK on Hulu. Big square blockhead robot dude. Uh, well, he's not a robot. Uh, Big square blockhead. And I don't know his actual... Um, what he actually is? Well, I don't know his origin, I know. I think he's somebody who either was experimented on or experimented on himself and made his brain grow huge. And then he couldn't walk because his brain was too big, so that's why he's in that chair. Okay. I don't. I don't know. Uh, but it, this one, uh, in in this iteration, he's treated for laughs. Uh, he's voiced by Patton Oswalt. Um, there's an all-star cast of voice talent surrounding him. And uh, I was a little disappointed, to be mm. honest. It, I thought, you know, it's done by the, it, the animation was done by the same people who do the robot chicken show on, on uh, Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I just expected this to be very, very funny, but, uh, you know, half-hour episodes, you, it's apparently difficult to sustain the level of humor that you get from a robot chicken episode, which is usually only 15 minutes. Um, and it has a story that it's trying to tell mm-hmm. that, that goes over the 10 episodes. Um, there, it, it's amusing. It's interesting to look at because it's all stop motion. Um, it's gory <laughs> at times. Um, that's a plus. Yeah. Uh, but it, I, I wanted it to be more ha ha funny and yeah. it's just amusing, you know? Well, lesson learned. Yeah. I, and it's probably going to get another season, but, uh, yeah, I, I was a little disappointed in it. Maybe you'll love it. Go right ahead. Give it a shot. Modoc, 10 episodes on Hulu. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, I guess that does it for this episode of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. You can find us on all the uh, podcasting platforms. If you would, though, do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts. uh, Subscribe, rate, and review on there. That helps us um, a lot. helps other people find us uh, so that we can spread the word. Spread the love of Comedy Tragedy Marriage. Yes. So, uh, I don't know what that sound meant. But, um, please uh, do all of that stuff. Uh, follow us. Follow me on Twitter, at MovieManStan. Follow the podcast, at CT Marriage. And, if you have a suggestion for us, please let us know if there's something you think we should watch. Give us the name of what it is, where we can find it, and why you think we should watch it. Send it to ComedyTragedyMarriage at gmail.com. And, as always, you can leave us a voice message Uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast. We'll be back next week. Your continuing Marvel education continues. Yeah, Yeah. continues. Um, I've said it twice. Uh, It's uh, this coming week it will be, or yeah, this coming episode, it will be uh, Captain America Civil War. Okay. Where uh, we see, uh, we, we get the basis for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series that okay. is on Disney Plus, which I haven't watched any of yet because I wanted you to watch it with me. Okay. Figuring that since you liked WandaVision, you I this mean, might be a thing. This might be a thing, but it's not. It's not weird like that. It's it's more of a straight ahead action adventure show. Okay. But and if you don't like the first after the first episode, you're out. That's fine. I'll watch them by myself. Okay. Okay. But, uh, yeah, that's next week, uh, Captain America, Civil War. Uh, so thank you very much for listening. Join us next week when we uh, dive back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, please take care of yourselves. Get your shots. Uh, if you aren't going to get a shot, what's wrong with you? Wear a mask. Um, and, you know, all that stuff that you know you should be doing, go ahead and do it. Because that's what you should be doing. Okay. I don't know what I'm saying. Uh, Love you. Love you. And until next time. Later. Later. Yay!